Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, today, you uh, you will have noticed today that uh, pastors are still uh, taking some time off. You're going to see them and hear from them very soon. But uh, we are going to carry on with our, our first of our Christmas series. And uh, for the theme this year, we've decided to go with uh, Home for Christmas. And I don't know what you think about all this stuff, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. I feel like I'm at home. Eh? Like, I think that was all George. Maybe George and Madeline and Kanisha, maybe Kelly. I, I think it's really great. Wow. Feels like home, right? So home for Christmas, and the reason why we, uh, we thought we'd go with this, I think, is, uh, well, home for Christmas, that, that might look a little bit different for a lot of us this year, right? Like, uh, we're going through something. Uh, Christmas might be a little bit different. Maybe you're going to find yourself that you're at home and you wish you could be somewhere else, or uh, you want to be somewhere, you can't be there, people can't come to you. Who knows? It's just going to be really different. It seems like things are changing every day, but I want to ask you this question. When you think about Christmas, what do you think about? What, what, what comes to mind? Like, for me, it's holiday stuff, it's Christmas trees, it's, it's presents, family. Somebody shouts family. I, uh, Santa Claus, there we go. Old Saint Nick. What's that? Turkey, oh wow, turkey. Turkey, that's my favorite part about Christmas. Turkey and leftovers the next day. We got a, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. And, and of course, there's, there's Jesus. There's the incarnation, right? For us Christians, we're celebrating the incarnation of Jesus, the event where God himself became a human being and walked amongst us and made his home with us. How crazy is that? God himself became a human. That's nuts. God himself became a human being and made his home with us. So today, I just want to start off this Christmas series and this Christmas season, really, by just talking about that, talking about the time in history and the reality and the sign and the symbol and what it means to us that God himself, God, came and made his home amongst us. How incredible is that? It's just amazing to me. I mean, as we go along, perhaps throughout the weeks, we're going to talk about different details of the Christmas story, the angels, the no room at the, the inn, all that kind of stuff. But, but today, there's the big idea. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. Jesus came home for Christmas. And crazily enough, he made the home here. And even more than that, he's actually made his home inside of us, which is just incredible. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So today we're going to, like I said, we're going to introduce the Christmas series. We're gonna, I want to talk to you again a little bit today, too, about something that I call the lie of separation. And I'm going to explain that a little bit as we go along. But one of the cool things about the idea, the theme of being home for Christmas is, is gathering together. Somebody shouted out, family, right? We're gathering. We're getting together with the people that we love and the people that we appreciate and want to be around, you know? And, and one of the, as much as we're, we're gathering together, we're also erasing the distance between us, even just for a time or just for a season. The distance, the busyness, all the, the humdrum of life, it kind of goes away and the distance gets closed and we spend time with each other. 
And I believe, and I honestly really do believe, that one of the most damaging ideas out there is what I call the lie of separation, the, the, the idea that God is somehow over there, somewhere out there, and that we're over here, and that somehow we have to overcome the distance between us. And I think that that's a lie. I think that's an idea that the incarnation of Jesus Christ blows completely out of the water. And the reason why this is so important is because there's lots of people searching for Jesus. There's lots of people searching for God. Maybe they don't even know that they are. They're looking for something. But you know what? The Bible says that the, the word of faith that we preach, it's not far from us. It's actually near us. It's in our mouth. Jesus is close to everybody. God is here. Emmanuel, that's the good news. God is close. He's not far from anybody. And the good news this Christmas is God, who once might have seemed very far away, is actually here. He's present, and he's very, very easy to find. And then finally today, you might have noticed we've got the, I got to step out the blue box for a second, but we've got the, uh, the little wafers here. We're going to do communion together. We're going to have an experience with God, because it's one thing to say that God's here. It's another thing to experience him. And I don't know about you, but I, I felt God today. I've felt the presence of Jesus Christ amongst us today. And we have this amazing promise where two or three gather together in his name. He says he's here with us. And we have, a, we have a relationship with the living God where he's not far in the sense that it's not an idea. He can, I can actually touch him and he can touch me. And right now, whether you know it or not, Jesus is in the room. By his Holy Spirit, he's here. He's moving. He's doing stuff. The glory of the Lord, it tells you in the Bible to, to, to rise and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen and is seen upon you. Wow. The glory of God is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The glory of God is in you, and the glory of God is on you. God is present here today. Just think about that. What do you need today? My goodness, if you, if you thought you could see Jesus physically and run up to him and say, Jesus, I mean, you can do that because he's here. For real. For real, Jesus Christ is here. He's present. So what I've called this today is, is look who's home. Because that's what we want to do. We want to we take a look at this God who's present amongst us. And, and, and we're gonna, our minds are going to be blown. I hope they are already. The fact that God is present and made his home with you. Now, Christmas. It's a special time. It's a time we mark out in our calendar every year. It's a time where we get together with people. But the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that event where the invisible God became visible, the eternally uncreated God who made everything, stepped into our existence and became one of us, that was a pretty spectacular special event. That was a holiday in the life of humanity. Now, I've asked a few people this week the question, what does the idea home for Christmas mean to them? And uh, I got some pretty cool answers. Uh, some people talked about uh, special times that they have with loved ones. Uh, I, I think it might have been uh, Gordon. I'm not sure. Somebody said something about the idea of time spent together under one roof. Like just with your loved ones. You, you all come together. You're in the same space. I thought that was pretty cool. Other people talked about that the home for Christmas being, you know what? It doesn't even matter where I am. It's just the people. As long as I'm with my people, as long as I'm with my family, I feel at home. And you know, I was thinking about that, and it just kind of blew my socks off. That, that's what a lot of people say they experience when they come here, is that sense and that feel of being at home. And I, I mean, I, I love all that stuff. I think, I think that, you know, that plays a part, but I think it's the people. I think it's us. You know what I mean? I, I think we're, we're each other's people. And there's that, that sense of being home and belonging. And so some people actually even were, were very honest and very raw. And they said, you know what? When we think about home for Christmas, it doesn't always bring up the most positive memories. 
Some people, it reminds them of, of pain, of brokenness, of difficulty that they've experienced, or loneliness that happens in the, in the Christmas season. But here's the thing, for everybody, this Christmas is good news. It's a time where we get to focus on the miracle that was the incarnation, the becoming man, God becoming man, and how in that one event, there's forever a sign, a symbol, and a reality that God himself, Almighty God, has joined himself to humanity and to our created world forever. And that home for Christmas feeling, and all the good stuff, all the positive stuff that that evokes in us, that's not just a once a season, once a year kind of feel, but we get to perpetually have that because of Jesus Christ. God himself has sown himself into the fabric of our very being and our, our world. And that's what Christmas is all about. God himself erased the distance. God himself became tangible, visible, touchable, feelable in the, in the form of a human being. And he showed everybody that God is actually not very far from you at all. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is a tangible proof of physical joining of God and creation, God and humanity, a sign and a symbol that God is with us. There was a, there was a king in the Old Testament. His name was Ahaz, and uh, God spoke a word to him. I think he was having trouble believing it, and God said to Ahaz, you know what? Ask me for a sign. I want you to ask me for anything. Just ask me for a sign, and I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to demonstrate to you. I'm going to help you believe that what I'm telling you is true, and it's actually going to come to pass. And Ahaz says, yeah, no way, God. I'm not doing that. I feel like that's tempting you. I'm, I'm not going to ask for a sign. And God says, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, fine then. I'll give you my own sign, and here's the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I think that's pretty cool. The prophecy of the, of the virgin birth and the coming of God to be with us, Emmanuel, it was given as a sign. It was a sign. And the fulfillment of that prophecy, Jesus becoming a man, is also a sign. God is with us. Now, this is really, really, really important. The incarnation is a sign, a physical, tangible reality that, that assures us that Jesus Christ is with us, whether we're locked down together, having a good time, having a bad time, no matter where we are or what we're doing. I hope you know, you can look back at that point in history and know that your hope that the presence of God is with you is actually rooted in something real. God himself has become one of us. He lives and dwells amongst us. He's not far from us. But sometimes, if we're being honest, Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? Sometimes it's like, wow, God, where are you? I, I don't feel him. I don't feel his presence. I mean, even on Sundays, sometimes you come together, you worship. I mean, you got songs and worship team like that. It's, it's pretty awesome, right? You come together and you're like, I feel Jesus. And then Monday and the alarm clock goes and you're like, nope. God, where are you? Or four o'clock on a, on a Friday. Man, where's Jesus right now? I might find him in an hour. But here's the thing. Sometimes we also think, you know what? Um, not only is it hard to acknowledge that God is with us, but sometimes if we're honest, we kind of look at the world and we say, well, you know, God's, God's surely with us and with those people, but not with them. Or, you know, God, God, God will be with me if I'm doing the right things and I'm living correctly. But if I, you know, have a bad day or something slips up, uh-oh, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please don't leave me. You know what I mean? And he's promised us he'd never leave us or forsake us. And the problem is, is that when we do that kind of thinking, we start to think about God in terms of God being over here and us being over here, or God being up here and we're down here. And then somehow by what I do or don't do, how I behave or how I live or what people group I belong to, or what, even what confession I have, then somehow God is close to me or far from me. 
and my perpetual job is to try to close the distance. And then when we do that, all of a sudden, the good news that God is with us becomes fractured and divided into good news for some people some of the time. He's present with me only when. He's present with you only when. He's present with those people and not with these people. And, and we might not mean to, but when we think in these terms, we, and we frame our own experience with God as though he's with me, he's not with me. He's with me, he's not with me. He's with you, he's not with you. He's with you, he's not with you. When we do that, we're not actually sharing the good news of Jesus. We're not sharing the good news of Christmas. Because the good news of Christmas is Luke chapter 2, verse 10. It says, don't be afraid. The angel's speaking to the shepherds now. He says, I bring good news that will be great joy for all people. All people at all time. God is with us all. God has joined himself to humanity. And the good news for our neighbor is not, let me tell you how to close the gap between you and God. Let me tell you how he closed the gap. Let me tell you how he's already close to you. He's near you. He's present. He's with you. And all of a sudden, we're on, we're on this, 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 this adventure with God and helping other people to see him rather than trying to help people to get to him. Do you understand the difference? Today, in the city of David, the angel said, a savior has been born to you. Good news, glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. That's really good. Now, here's, here's what I think is the problem. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to give this to you. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I did a sermon about uh, uh, the, the great tribulation, the not so great tribulation, and I tried to frame it in terms of, here you go, I'm going to put this out there for you, think about it. Just something to think about, okay? I believe that what we suffer from is something called the lie of separation. And I believe it goes like this. We've been taught this spiritual paradigm, and it's just part of our culture. It's, it's, I don't think it's anybody's fault in particular. It's just the way we, we've grown up. It's just the way we see the world. And that picture goes something like this. God God is up there and we're down here. Or if you like, God is over here and we're over here. Between humanity and God exists a massive gap, a big space, a huge chasm. Perhaps you've seen pictures and diagrams. God's over here. Humanity's over here. God's up there. We're down here. If we do the right things, believe the right things, say the right things, we're going to cross the bridge. We're going to climb the ladder, ascend the hill of the Lord, climb the mountain, do whatever to overcome that distance and somehow join ourselves to God or get God to join himself towards us. And then after we become Christians, I mean, this just isn't a paradigm that we've kind of bought into in terms of helping people come to have faith in Jesus. After we've even become Christians, we can still kind of suffer with that idea. He loves me, he loves me not. He's with me, he's with me not. You know, like David in Psalm 51 under the old covenant says, you know, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Oh, stink, I had a bad day. He might have. I don't have the gooseies today when I'm praying. I don't have the goosebumps. Uh-oh. You know, God, God, God ran away. Surely he couldn't look on me right now. And, uh, and we kind of buy into this idea. And, th and then we start to think, you know what? If I can just do certain things, maybe if I fast enough, maybe if I pray enough, maybe if I only sin mildly enough, or maybe just once a week or something like that, if I can just reform something in my life, maybe, just maybe, I can close the gap. I can convince God to, come on, get close to me. Let's get closer together. I can climb the hill. I can jump over the bridge. I can do whatever I have to do. And all of a sudden, the blessings of God are going to be in my life. And unfortunately, I do think that, that even Western culture, the, that we're, our, even our Christianity is littered with the lie that God's over here, we're over there, that separation and distance exist, and that we have to overcome that gap. And if it's not by our works, at least by the strength of our faith. Now, here's what I believe is the problem with that paradigm. And I'm just going to mull over this. Think about it. But I don't believe that's biblical. I think it's actually Greek philosophy. I don't think it's the Bible. 
And I, I do geek out over this stuff. I do love it. Um, my wife's always like, don't talk to me about this stuff. But I don't know if you've ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, these guys, uh, Greek philosophers. And their ideas have been so ingrained in the foundation of Western thought. It, it's actually incredible to the point where it's not that we necessarily, you know, I could give you a book from Plato, you'd read it and you'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I really like this book, Timaeus or, or The Republic. And the ideas, yeah, those are great. No, I think if you, if you took their ideas and their thoughts and you matched it beside the Bible, you would probably be like, that's not biblical. I reject that. But the problem is more subtler than that. It's that we actually think the way these guys have taught us and trained us to think. So here, here's a, an example of what I mean. This, this is Greek thought. This is, this is uh, some of the hallmarks of Greek philosophy. And, and just see if any of this is familiar to you. Their, their basic ideas are this. God is pure spirit, and he exists out there. He exists up there in this realm that is just pure spirit. There are defined layers and levels between God who's pure spirit and us down here who are stuck in our fleshly bodies. Somehow, they say, if we can get the right revelation, the right illumination, or through our virtue and the neglect of our body through aesthetic practice, like things like fasting and stuff like that, we can actually climb those levels, get closer to God, and become more spiritual. And that train of thought, that way of thinking, actually leads us to categorize certain life activities and say, this is spiritual, this isn't. When I do this spiritual activity, I'm closer to God. And when I do this, I'm actually far away. I'm in the spirit or I'm in the flesh. I'm in something good, I'm in something bad. And we start to prioritize and characterize our lives. And that's how you get crazy ideas where all of a sudden, you know, going to church and singing is worship, but, you know, playing with your kids or, or hanging out with a loved one or taking a walk is not spiritual. It kind of comes from this way of thinking. And then the problem, these guys say, is, is the problem of sin. But sin is not necessarily a bad behavior. Sin is being trapped in a condition where you're controlled and dominated by your humanity, by your emotions, by your, your physical appetites and desires and our attachments to the natural things in our world that are merely only shadows of ultimate reality, which is spirit. Now, that's, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty similar to a lot of Christianity, right? I, I, it's Greek. It's Greek. There's a totally different paradigm that the Bible teaches. I mean, people like St. Augustine's, like St. Thomas Aquinas, these guys, they kind of took these Greek ideas, married them to Christianity, and now thousands of years later, we kind of believe them to be fundamental truths, but it's actually a, an amalgamation of a bunch of pagan ideas. So what we do, we take our Bibles, we read into our life experience, and we communicate with the world out there these kind of paradigms where it's like God's up there and we're down here. And what we got to do is we got to overcome the distance. So we read verses like Isaiah 59 too, where it says your sins have been barriers. They've separated you between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. And we read those verses and we're like, see, aha, I told you. We're separated from God. There's distance. Every time I sin, there's distance created. There's a barrier between us. And then we become very, very aware of all of our shortcomings and all of our failures. And we start to use those as, as explanations to ourselves as why I might not be feeling the presence of God right now. But when we do that, we don't realize that there's actually other parts to the verse, other parts to the chapter. It's because we've been preconditioned to believe this lie that God's there and we're here and there's a gap between us. But if that's not your starting place, you see something totally different. You see the Lord say in the previous verse, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull that it cannot hear. 
It's not that God can't and won't see you. It's not that he can't hear you because of your sin. It's not that God's standing off and away from us or he's standing away from the people out in the world, aloof from us because he can't stand our sin. Rather, as the Bible says, that sense of separation and alienation we have is caused by our sins and our iniquities. It's caused by something wrong with our thinking. It's caused by something wrong with the way that we see the world. It's not actually caused by God. God's actually here. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Somehow at any point, Old Testament saints got hold of this. People like David and Abraham, they looked into the future and they saw, wow, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world means that the benefits of relationship with God, I can pull and tug on those at any time. Because the reality that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the reality of what he did for me is true, even before it even actually happened. That's amazing. That's a mind blower. But God is not thinking, you know, I, I, I can't come close to you. He's not saying to the people in the world, I can't come close to you because of your sins. Our sins, our, our wrong way of thinking actually causes us to believe that there's a separation that there really is. The problem was with our sins and our knowledge of good and evil, the philosophy that these kind of people have given us, and, and the ignorance that we have, frankly, that causes us to not be able to seek God even, or see him even if we wanted to. So later on in that same chapter, Isaiah 59, it says, we wait for light. This is our real problem. We wait for light, but lo, there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope around like a blind, like a blind person along a wall, groping like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon. The problem is we don't see. We don't understand. Sin and iniquity don't necessarily separate us from God in the sense that God's run and hiding from us, but it's made us blind to his love and his affection. Think about this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what, what did God do? Did he run away from them and say, actually, guys, you know what? I'm really sorry. Now that you're in the sinner's camp, I can't come near you. No, he actually went looking for them. Who did the running and the hiding? Adam and Eve. It's something about the fallen state. There's something about an awareness of our sin that causes us to run from God rather than to him. There's something about the human psyche that causes us to say, wow, something wrong and broken is happening in my world. That must be evidence of the fact that God is upset with me and somehow there's distance been created between us. And that's just not true. It's really not true. Our sin doesn't cause God to run and hide. He actually pursues us. He chases us down, and he's constantly trying to remind us, I'm here. And I mean, we could go even farther from there in, in this. We can look at verses where in Exodus, actually, I think I said it today earlier when we said, you know, God, Moses said to God, show us your glory. Show me your glory. God says, I'm going to cause my goodness to, to pass before you. The next verse, nobody can see my face and live. And then we find all these amazing examples in the New Testament where people actually did see God and live. We see Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled his temple. We see Daniel saying, I saw the Ancient of Days, and he saw his face because he described his hair, described his face, and said there's thousands and thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands ministering to him. That's not even to talk about Ezekiel, Abraham, uh, Moses himself. That's, that's not even talking about Peter, James, and John who went up the hill and before they were even born again saw Jesus transfigured in all of his glory. God is not separated from us. In fact, in some special mystical way, this God who became a human, actually in a mystical way, he is the one who holds all things together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. This is the one that we worship. This is the one who's present in our lives. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
When we're talking about little baby Jesus who got born, you know, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus that got born in a manger, we're talking about the God who is the one who made everything. We're talking about the God who holds everything together by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. We're talking about the word who was the, who was the word in the beginning. The word was God. The word was with God. And he was in the beginning with God. It says all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. This Jesus who made all things, who holds all things together, in whom all things consist, is and always has been present to us in our lives. As Pastor Carl says, we've never lived an unloved moment in our lives. We've never actually had a moment in our lives where we, the presence of God has not actually been there, and the hands of God have not been holding us. You know that footprints poem? You know, it's like, where were you? Where, how come there's only one, foot, one, one set of footprints? Well, he's there. Whether we know it or not, see it or not, believe it or not, he's here. And you know what our message is, is at Christmas time? It's to a world. God is here. Emmanuel, God is present with us. He's present to you. Acts 17, verse 28, we got Paul talking to a bunch of philosophers in Athens at Mars Hill. And incredibly, he says to these guys, he says, you know what? It's in him. It's in Jesus, this unknown God I'm going to tell you about called Jesus Christ. It's in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own prophets have said, we too are his offspring. Isn't that crazy? Paul's even talking to philosophers who don't even believe in Jesus. And what he's trying to say to them is, you know what? This God who you don't know, who's far away from you, you think, he's actually the one that in whom you live. You move and you have your being. He holds all things together. He sustains you. He's present in your life. He's the source of all things good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. God causes his sun to shine and his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The blessings of God, the good things that we have in our lives, they all come from him. And we can help people identify that with gratitude in our own lives. And we can say, you know, this God who you don't know, this unknown God, he's actually present in your world and he's working. And all of a sudden, when we're trying to help people come to faith in Jesus, what we're not trying to do is help them to close the gap of distance. We're trying to help them to have a moment where they open their eyes and they realize this God who loves you is present in your life. He's right here. He's not far from you. In fact, that word of faith is in your mouth. You got to confess it. You got to believe it. But it's not hard because he's here. He's present. He's with you. It's a different proposition when you want to pray for people, when you want to pray for your own self, when you want to pray for, for anything. You're not trying to climb up through the ether and get through, you know, 16 levels of second heaven and all that stuff. God is just as close to you as your own breath. He's actually even closer because you and him have been made one spirit. He's actually present in you in a way that is even closer than your own internal organs. Jesus himself has joined himself together with you. That's amazing. I mean, by, by this fallen logic, we wouldn't be able to expect that anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus should even be able to experience him. But how many times did he go and show himself willing to hang out with, be friends with, heal, minister to, touch people who didn't believe in him? I mean, if we really believe that there was some sort of separation between God and, and righteousness and, and this holiness, you know, unholy, dirty people, uh, Jesus would be disqualified from a lot of what he did. Right? He's still doing stuff today. He's still moving. And one of the tricks, and I'm going to be honest with you, one of the things I absolutely love about what Stefan's doing is he's recognizing and he's seeing Jesus moving in places where we don't think he would, could, or should. And he's not fighting with God to try to get God to come and help him and invade a circumstance. He's recognizing that God is already present, that he's already somewhere. See, for God's not into this whole distance and separation thing. 
So when John tells us about this word of God who created all things, who was God, who is God, and was with God from the beginning, that word of God that sustains and holds all things together, your life, my life, the very universe itself, even the lives of the people who don't like Jesus, when he talks about that person, he says that person, that God, that mighty being came and made his home amongst us. He became flesh. We saw his glory. We saw him full of grace and truth. And I like the way St. Ignatius writes. He says this, for this reason then, the incorporeal and incorruptible, the immaterial word of God entered our world. In one sense, indeed, he was not far from it before, for no part of creation had ever been without him, who while ever abiding in union with the Father, yet fills all things. That's Jesus. That's little baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus. That little baby. You know what's amazing? Is it Simeon in the Bible? Uh, he's in the temple. He's waiting for the salvation of Israel. And he sees in the baby the salvation of the world. And he says, Father, I can go. He says, God, I can leave now. My eyes have seen the salvation and the deliverance of Israel. And all he saw was a little baby. Because he looked into the eyes of the baby and he saw the word of God from time eternal and saw, wow, this is the deliverance and the savior of the whole world. This is the one in whom all things are held together. This is the one through whom the deliverance and the salvation of God is going to be manifested in the earth. This is the light of God in the world. And all he saw was a baby. All he saw was a baby. I don't know if there's things in your life where you're like, God, I'm believing for something big, but I only see something small right now. I'm telling you, if you can look in that small thing, don't despise small things. You know, if you can see the work of God in a small, tiny thing in your life and in your world, I would challenge you to see the fruition and the fullness of it in that person of Jesus Christ. If there's a word of God spoken into your life, even if it's in seed form, look at it, speak it, call it out, see it for what it is. See the, see the forest in the little tiny acorn. That's what Simeon did. In little baby Jesus, he saw the salvation of the whole world. Uh, St. Ignatius, he goes on and he says, but now this God who was out there, who somehow mystically held all things together, this Logos, now he's entered in the world in a new way. He stooped to our level in his love and in his self-revealing to us. That word that was never far away from us became one of us so that now we'd no longer be blinded by our own ignorance, alienated from the life of God due to the blindness that was in us. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, the Amplified Bible, I've got it here. I think I put a smaller version up there, but it says, they had their moral understanding darkened and their reason clouded. This is the problem with humanity. We were alienated, and in the Amplified Bible, it says, self-banished self-banished from the life of God because of the ignorance and spiritual blindness that was in us. In this version here, it says how they had their understandings darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Why were they alienated from the life of God? Was it because God was like, get out. I don't like you. Get away from here. You're too dirty. Or was the reason why we were alienated from the life of God because our sin made us blind, hardened our hearts, and made us think that we could do life on our terms, and we could relate to God through the knowledge of good and evil, and we could start to define reality, and we could start to believe whatever we wanted? No, it's because, of the, it's because we were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in us. But Jesus came to correct that. His whole life corrected that. Everything that little baby Jesus did from the time he was born right up until he died on the cross, everything about his life was important and special because it revealed God. Everything. You know, when he, well, I don't know, when he got picked on at the babysitters, he revealed the life and the glory of God. When he was growing up, when he was 12 years old and he ran away from his parents and he went to the temple, he was revealing the life and the glory of God right across the broad spectrum of all of human experience. Jesus stepped into our experience and revealed the Father and revealed the heart of God and showed us what God actually really looks like. 
and at the same time showed us what our lives can look like by the power of the Holy Spirit present in us. He fully revealed God and he fully revealed man. Because of the ignorance that was in us, we didn't see, we didn't understand, we couldn't perceive it. Our shame and our guilt clouded our view to what was right in front of us, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So Jesus comes in a body as a man, understandable, touchable, feelable. He comes down, as the Bible says, he came to his own. And what was the problem? His own did not receive him. But he came to his own. In John chapter 1, I, I, just as something fun to do, I'd encourage you to read it as a creation story. Read Genesis chapter 1 and then read chapter, John chapter 1. It's actually kind of fun. In Genesis chapter 1, Moses is describing how God created the world and he made the light and the darkness and he separated them. He separated the earth from the land, or the, the earth from the water. He separated the sky from the waters. The separation is happening. But John says, hey, by the way, the word who made it all, he stepped in, and now the light isn't separated from the darkness. He said the light shines in the darkness. The problem was the darkness didn't comprehend it. That was the problem. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. Jesus is here. Emmanuel, God with us. And in this season, we celebrate the virgin shall conceive and give birth, and it will be a sign God is with us. The word became flesh. We have seen and beheld his glory. And now our lives are walking demonstrations. We should be manifestations of that same glory, the same goodness. Jesus came and he brought grace and truth. Our message is grace and truth. Our lives exude grace and truth. And we become an embodiment of that same Jesus who came and became a person. We are now his body and we're communicating and revealing him to the world. But the incarnation, the story of Christmas is that God himself became one of us and made his home with us. And the separation that we thought existed between God and man does not exist. That is a lie. It has always been a lie, and it is a lie now. And that means that now we've got good news. We've got good news for a hurt and a broken and dying world. Anything and everything that we believe we need to do in order to close the gap between our experience and God, between us and God, Jesus Christ himself took on and did it all. Jesus himself closed that gap on behalf of every single one of us. And the lamb slain from the foundation of the world has made that a tangible reality for everybody, even before they even accept it and know it. That's why we can go and pray for the sick and they can be healed before they even confess and, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why people can experience the goodness of God. That's why he causes his sun to shine, his rain to fall on the good and the bad, the just and the unjust, because the mercy and the grace of God is just his heart. It's just his nature. It's just his character. I mean, you got to choose him. You got to believe in him. You got to accept him, but you don't have to get him to come close. He's already here. He's present today. I got a picture I want to show real quick. It's just to illustrate this. That, that, that short fat guy with no hair, that's me. This is many years ago. I, I think the other day I showed somebody a picture of me with no hair and, and a mustache. It was actually horrible. <laughs> Should have been locked up. But anyways, so there's me. This is how I see it. Now, I, those are my kids. We're, we're at home. My kids are my kids. I, I love them. I'm there with them. I'm in the house with them. You know, I, I've provided a place for them to live. I've provided a place for them to grow up. I've provided a place for them to play. You know what? I'm there. I'm present. I'm in the room with them. I, I'm there. I, I'm, I'm present to them. I, I'm doing things for them. I'm helping them. But you know what? In this time, prior to this, they're playing Ninja Turtles. They got their weapons out. They got their little masks on. They're playing a game. And granted, there's always a, a limitation to what an analogy can do, but they're playing a game. 
I'm there. I'm present. I'm watching them. But if you got kids, you'll know this. The dynamic changes when you go from standing at the side and watching to putting the mask on and getting involved. You know, they're playing a game. They're doing their thing. And I'm watching them, and I'm enjoying them. But there's a different relationship, even in the moment, when I take my hat off, I take my glasses off, I put the mask on, I take up the little nunchucks, and I'd be a Ninja Turtle with them. All of a sudden, we're on the same level. We're playing the same game. Our consciousness is shared. We're, we're relating to one another at a totally different level because I've entered into their world. And that's what God did with us. That's what God did for humanity. He set aside, I took off my glasses and I couldn't see anymore. I can't see right now. <laughs> I limited myself a little bit. Jesus did. He emptied himself of the privileges of divinity and he came and became a human being so he could enter into the world at our level. He could communicate with us and reveal things to us that we just couldn't even grasp or understand, had no ability or capacity to. And later on, the Apostle John would write things like in 1 John, let me tell you about what I saw. Let me tell you about what I touched, what I heard. I had a personal encounter with this God who came to my level and ministered to me. And that's our message. So at your, at your chairs, you're going to find a little uh, communion thingy here. We're going to take communion today. I think it's really appropriate at Christmas. I think it's appropriate all the time. But there's something special. There's something amazing about what Jesus did for us in, in the communion. Something that he did for us in, in his dying and in his raising from the dead and the way that he gave his body and blood for us that just completely erases and deals with all of these issues of separation. So if you've got your cups, there's a little trick to it. If you push down on the... The little uh, clip thingy there. You can separate the plastic piece and you can pull the, the little wafer out. I'm going to warn you, if you've never done this before with us, it does not taste good. <laughs> so I hope you're not hungry or nothing. But praise God. You're not going to die or nothing, but it's, it's going to be an unpleasant second. I'm <laughs> just being honest. <laughs> All right, what does communion have to do with Christmas? Well, let me tell you this. Every single thing that we thought separated us from God, every single thing that got in the way, every single thing that empowered our thinking, every single thing that overpowered us and caused us to believe that we are separated from God, that we were guilty and sinful and shameful. And you know what? We were. We needed an atonement, but Jesus gave it. We needed the blood and he shed it. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18, for this reason he had to be made like them, to become fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful, faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to close the gap of difference, of separation. Jesus had to be the God who was up there. He had to come down to our level. He had to take on our flesh so that he could take on our sins. And he did. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God himself, the invisible, eternal God, came and made himself human, took on a body. And that's part of what communion is all about, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell bodily, and by Jesus to reconcile to himself all things in heaven and earth, and to make peace with all things through the blood of his cross. And it says, you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind, in our minds, we thought God hated us. We thought he was mad at us. But he always had mercy and compassion on us. He needed to deal with our sins, and he did. He did. He's not the kind of God who holds our sins against us. We who were once alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, yet now he's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. That's what the body does. 
And so isn't it funny, the spiritual, all the spiritual stuff that we're super pumped about, Jesus fixed spiritual problems with his body. I mean, doesn't that give new significance to my body? My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's not spiritual things and physical things, spiritual and natural. My body itself takes on a new significance. My life, all the things that I do in my world take on significance because Jesus redeemed spiritual and natural things through what he did with his body. So let's think about that today. Let's, let's recognize today that he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. And now because his body absorbed and took into it all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our sickness, all of our pain in his body, somehow mystically, Jesus Christ absorbed sin. He absorbed me. He absorbed the broken me. He took my pain. He took my failures. He took my shame and my guilt. He took it into his own body and he brought it down into death. And the blood that he shed spilt over that body and completely destroyed sin's power. So let's eat today. Let's eat to the body of Jesus by which we are reconciled. And then there's the blood represented by this grape juice right here. I do believe the blood of Jesus has a sin-destroying power. There's a power in the blood of Jesus to deliver and set free like nothing else can. The blood of Jesus is powerful. It's mighty. The Spirit of God takes the blood of Jesus, he applies it, and the life of God that's in that blood overcomes and overwhelms everything. There's nothing that can stand before the blood of Jesus. Not your sin, not your shame, not your guilt, not any sense of guilt that you have before God right now, not any sense of a bad consciousness. All of that stuff is completely overwhelmed and overpowered by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, it speaks a better word. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed Abel, and it said that his blood cried out from the ground. Well, what happened to Cain? He got expelled. The blood of Cain, or the blood of Abel, spoke of expulsion and separation. Get out. The blood of Jesus says closeness. The blood of Jesus speaks acceptance and welcome. The blood of Jesus says everybody's welcome, and we're celebrating him and joining around his table today. The blood of Jesus. Let's drink. Hebrews tells us, therefore, brothers and sisters, excuse me, since we now have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, Our lives should be full of confidence. God's not far from us. We can have an experience with him. Be confident. By the blood of Jesus, we can enter the holy place by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's approach God. Approach God in your life. Let your your attitude, your trajectory towards God, God, I'm coming. I'm not hiding. I'm not holding back. I'm coming. Here I come. My, My heart's open. My face is wide open in front of you. I have no shame. You're the glory and the lifter of my head, Father. I'm coming and I'm ready to embrace all that you have to give me. Let's approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, and let's together, over Christmas, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful, and he promised I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and the incarnation is an eternal symbol of that. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, let's stand up together. We're going to have ministry in the house today for people who want to receive prayer. If uh, people in the house who are on the prayer teams would uh, come on up. We've got a six feet distance. We can pray through the air. Jesus healed so many people through distance.
sometimes even miles. And he said to people who had faith for that, wow, what great faith. But I want to ask today, if there's anybody here today who never, never, or, you know, for the first time in their life today would like to say, you know what, I recognize that Jesus loves me. I accept that Jesus loves me. I accept that there's no separation between me and God because of what Jesus has done. If you want to affirm that, if you want to just put your hand up at the count of three, just as a way of saying, you know what, I believe that. For the first time today, I, I see that. I accept it. I'm just going to invite you at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand. It's just a way of saying a little bit of, by faith, I accept Jesus today. We're going to pray together. Okay, let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you. I believe you love me. I believe you saved me. And I welcome you in my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Good stuff. All right, you know what? We're going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for the way that you prove yourself good to us over and over and over again. Thank you, Father, for your presence in each one, in each one of our lives. I thank you that you live inside of us. Father, my prayer is, and I just ask, Father, that in a really special way, in a really big way, you would make known the reality of your nearness, your closeness, your indwelling presence, that every single person here watching online or in this room here today, Father, would have an experience of your Holy Spirit that absolutely and utterly convinces people, convinces us in our hearts. There's no separation, good day or bad day. The glory of God is in me. The glory of God is in me. The glory of God is on me. There is no separation. And may we manifest with radiance the glory of God in our lives that you have already poured out through Jesus Christ. Right Bless you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Bless all these people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.